Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world, and you're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to a beautiful Beit Midrash, Sulam Yaakov. Yes, we're back where it all started from, Sulam Yaakov. Rabbi Mike Foyer joins me here on Spiritual Cafe. Rabbi Mike, shalom and welcome. Oh, thank you so much. You guys could see you at home. You know, I was so used to driving out to uh, to Pardes that I actually drove to Pardes today, found a miracle parking spot, and then found out that I was in the wrong place altogether. Uh, but I hope you, you didn't know. use up all your merits for the week in right? that parking spot. Right. Well, it's the end of the week. Uh, and also, yeah, you know, we have a joke. Malk and I have a joke about praying to the, the God who has helped our people park for the last 2,000 years. Uh, you know, uh, God who helped us park in the desert, who has helped our forefathers park, help us find parking. Malka, Malka is very nervous about parking. Um, so, so yeah, I had a miracle parking spot and just squeaked by another car without scratching it uh, and found out that I was in the wrong place altogether. But that reminds us of the famous Baal Shem Tov story where the guy has this dream. The guy has a dream that somewhere under a bridge there is a, a pot of gold and he goes to this town far, far away and, and he finally meets... Um, uh, he gets to the bridge and, and he meets like a guard there and the guard says to him, you can't dig under here. And he finally convinces, he tries to convince him by telling him, listen, I had a dream. I think there's a pot of gold under there. And the guard says to him, you fool. Everybody's got dreams like that. I had a dream like that just recently about a pot of gold. And he describes exactly this person's house. And the person realized that he went all that way just to get an explanation that there's a pot of gold in his house. He goes back to his house and finds indeed that, that pot of gold. So Does that mean that we're going to get rich right now? It just means that sometimes you've got to go to Galut to exile in order to come back. Sometimes you've got to go to the wrong parking to get to the right parking. The bottom line is that we are here at uh, Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov. Sulam Yaakov.com. Yes. Dot com. And, of course, your shows uh, here at the Land of Israel Network. Uh, found also at uh, facebook.com forward slash Rav Mike, and also your your show here called The Jewish Story. So a lot of content here. And speaking of a lot of content, I am I am uh, I don't usually get nervous before we start our show, but this this week I'm a little bit nervous because in my opinion, here's here's a big I'm going to make a claim. I thought about this. I thought to myself maybe I'll be challenged by Rabbi Mike. I thought about this. I'll make a claim that this is the most dramatic Torah portion. Dramatic. Uh, of all the Torah portions, there is there are scenes in here that are that are dramatic is the only word I can think of here that are so human, I thou human and God. That there's you're coming into you always talking about relationships. You're going to come into the inner sanctum of the highest moment a human can reach with the kind of how should I say this right with the lowest reach down of God from His high seat in order to to meet humanity halfway. Uh, and it's just, and it's and it's and the drama, of course, is not just around an, an awesome going up and up and up. It's actually through a tremendous fall from grace, a tremendous a challenge to the Jewish people who who get you know you know we, when the um, when when a boxer goes down and the count starts, the technical count, yeah. right? The, the count is starting here. Okay, it's like one, two, three, and it's like the Jews. God is like, I want to knock them out, and and the first. Of I think two offers in the in the Torah are is is given that how about Moses I'll get rid of those people because we all know they're annoying and stiff naked and stiff naked and instead I'll make you and you're 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 dandy you're you're great and let's go with you so I'm not going to take you on on the question of drama because I think each to their own although I think splitting the Red Sea might take the cake nevertheless it's but it's important. been done you know Cecil B. the Mill and all you know. <laughs> 
Oh, and this one got done in that movie too, as I recall. Yeah, for a second there. Yeah, yeah it was it was an ugly scene. Yeah. Um, but but yet 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 strangely seemed that the Hollywood folks they had got a that. good sense. They got that. of what was going on at the Golden. We got calf. Well, We got to talk about the Golden Calf when we get there. But I think we should just let ourselves go on the order of the parts, and we'll see All where right. it takes us. All right. So so the the beginnings of the Torah portion. Let's let's do a little backtracking back not walk it back. Let's go back a little bit and say that first we're dealing with Torah portion called Kitisa, which is in the book of Exodus chapter thirty, starts at about uh, verse eleven, and the first few chapters in this Torah portion are going to deal with what what we could easily call the continuation of of the past two Torah portions, which are the vessels and vestments of the tabernacle. How does the tabernacle actually work? Okay, and here we're going to uh, first learn about um, a census. We're going to learn about um, the the famous half shekel. Now is going to be kind of collected and explained, um, and there's going to be gifts that Jewish people are going to give to the temple. Then we're going to learn about the laver, which is this copper laver, which which. Um, I'm not even sure what that means in English. Right. What is a laver anyway? It's it's like a. Talk like about a, the cure. Yeah, a basin. Basin. A basin. I don't know why they call it a laver. Why do they even call it that? King James. Okay. Uh, and and here you have to you have to wash your hands and feet. Uh, that's one of the commandments that when you enter the temple, not us. The priests. The priests they have to wash their hands and feet. So we've now learned about another vessel, and now this is not exactly a vessel, but but in order to make it all go down, everything that we learned about, it's all got to be anointed in an oil. Later, we're also going to learn that that the, that the priests themselves are going to be anointed in this oil. You're not allowed to make a copy of this of this oil, uh, but there's going to be an oil that uh, that once once you have all the stuff, I guess it needs the grease, right? It needs the oil, right? Well, this is the process of going live. I mean, right. up until now, we've been speaking structure as we spoke about those the blueprint. Partial blueprint portions, and now the critical ingredient is the anointing. There's this process that Rashi actually speaks about later in Bamidbar. Maybe we'll, we'll touch it there of what's called chinuch habayit, right? The chinuch, which in Chanukat habayit, but it's the same word as chinuch, which in in uh, English is education, right? Is education in Hebrew is rooted in the idea of taking something and putting it to the use for which it was intended. It's like, how do you get out of the Mishkan that which it was built for? There's the process of, of Hanukkah bite, of the, uh, the preparation, the dedication, and in this case, the anointing with oil. In the same way, it's, you have a child who has potential within them. The process of Chinuch is not taking something from outside and impressing it on them from, from without, but rather is reaching in and figuring out what they have within them and bringing that into service. And that's, and that's the scary, place we're at way, here. That's scary. I was just, just talking to my wife this morning about one of our kids, and I'm like, he can be an engineer. And we were having this conversation, and she's like, he's going to be a great rabbi. And I'm just like, I said to her, well, maybe we should send him, therefore, to this school. And she's like, but we have to give him options. And we're talking about a five-year-old, right? Yeah, but I know like, that, which is why I'm a little nervous right now. Right, and it's just <laughs> like, um, you know, how do you know what that potential is? How do you know to, on the one hand, direct, on the other hand, not smother? I mean, at the risk of drifting into um, you know educational philosophy, I think it's because the purpose of education is is uh, not at the ishiut. It's to build the the person, and not to give them a skill set or content. I mean, the skills get content certainly in our world today are are eminently available, right? The challenge is how do you help this child flower? Like, like you know, chinuch al pi darko, right? Like the like the sages teach us, it means that you're going to teach the child in the way which they need to go. 
right? And, and that's a tremendous challenge because as someone like myself who has more than one child, it means that you can't take one form of education. It's one of the big challenges. And in fact, we could kind of bring it back around to our Parsha. This Parsha begins with a sense that everyone's the same. Right, that everybody has this half shekel contribution, and that's the base. Right, there's all these half shekels of silver that get used to build the base of the Mishkan. These are the sockets that receive the boards that are that are the structure. On some level, there's an assumption that we're all the same, and yet when you look at how the Mishkan itself plays out in the fact that it's only one person at one time, right, who can go into this one place, there's an incredible individuality, which is what's meant to flower there. So there's there's a there's a tension, which is really the end of this whole process of building the Mishkan, this microcosm that's meant to allow Am Yisrael to to meet God on Earth. In many ways, it's the same thing that education is meant to be. On some level, there's a base level expectation. There's content and skills you need, but I have to figure out really what's unique about you or about my child before I can really educate. So so there's this um, there's a one level which which is all Israel is one. We're all part of the cellular structure, but then there's these like individuals. Um, first, there's some bad individuals we're going to learn about. We're going to sure. learn about some evil actions. Before we get to there, uh, we also have um, another not neither vessel nor a vestment, but but something that happens inside the the tabernacle, which is the incense. And the incense is um, has eleven parts to it. It is it is it is it is offered up exactly when the menorahs are kind of lit in the morning and the afternoon. So you kind of have to see it. It's like a smoky. And it's, by, the, by the way, I think it's supposed to, I heard, uh, supposed to kind of mirror or remind one of the clouds of glory mm-hmm. and the receiving of the Torah at Sinai through the clouds. So there's this like cloudy thing. There's like a bit of a mystery thing. By the way, one of the big differences between, let's say, if you ever go into, and according to, to Jewish law, you're not supposed to go into a church, especially a cathedral, uh, but if you ever go into a cathedral, if you've ever been in one, one of the things that you could sense there is awe and mystery, awe and mystery. And you go into a synagogue, it's usually not awe, awful and mysterious. It's Hamish. actually, it's a little bit more Hamish. And, and there, therein lies also a big difference between Judaism and other, and other you know, forms of worship because it's like, you know, it's, it's more family. It's more, and, and there's, there's less, um, we, the Torah kind of lets us, learn about God as opposed to just keeping him within mystery. Uh, I know you always talk about that it's not a book of theology, but still though we understand, we have many examples of relationships, but there's not a lot, there's, there's not that feeling of like, even a beautiful synagogue is like, wow, that's beautiful. You're not like, <gasps> you know, you're not like scared. Yeah, by, they're by not built to strike on the heart of the, right. uh, of the faithful. Right, but here there is a moment when you, when you put the, 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 those incense on, on the coals, it's like, shh. It like it shoots up a smoke, a fire, and the, it, like something fills the room with a beautiful scent, but also you know something very familiar and comforting, but something also very mysterious, a cloud that you can't really penetrate. And it's meant to transport you. I and mean, remember that that the sense of smell is the only sense which wasn't used when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Saw the tree, they tasted the fruit, they listened to the snake. He bumped Eve. She touched the tree, but there's no mention of smell because smell. Our sages teach us is that sense that was really preserved for a direct interaction between the soul and creation. And then when you when you drop the incense on those coals, right, Aaron or whatever Kohen was present when he did it was meant to really be transported, right, in that sense that only smell can do. You smell you smell smell now, and it brings back. I was walking on the street the other day; it was raining, and I was suddenly back in third grade on the playground with the asphalt right. and the and the you know, and it was like I was really there. It wasn't a memory. It was it was a full 
sensory experience of being there. And so you can imagine that um, that when Aaron puts the incense on Yom Kippur in front of the two Kruvim, the cherubs, who we remember are guarding the way to the tree of life, that he's really transported back to that Edenic consciousness and that intimacy with the divine, which was really the inheritance of, of, uh, of humanity. All right, little joke time, okay? Yeah, I'm ready. Y- you know that... Um, you know that there's 11 parts of the incense. Sure. Now, the 11th is the stinky element. Chalbana. Right. That has, there's got to be a stinky element. How many couples are buried in Marat HaMachpelah? Four. Four, ostensibly, right? right? Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. Yeah. Now, I found in super normative sources, a lot of them, uh-huh. that also, uh, they're, they're, I'm talking about normative sources here, from the Sifri yeah. to the Sefer Atmuna and other things, they all say that Moses and Zipporah are also buried in Ma'at HaMachpelah. Really? That's a big challenge. Okay. Yes, yes. And they explain all the Psukim. Every verse that is hard to understand. I'll go with it. it. Yeah. So that makes 10 I think people, I see where you're going. Right? And then there's also the head of Esav. Right. Which is the 11th. Right, so that's the stinky element that is in the Ma'at Machpelah. Of course, that's the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Okay, mm-hmm. so there you go. Eleven couples. Why not his parts feet? That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, here we go. So, so with the end of the incense, we have now stopped, at least for now, the issues of the tabernacle, and we're now going to come back to a much more. Well, before we totally go there, there's going to be one more thing, but we're going to go into a more human narrative now, starting here. And the first human that we're going to encounter is a new character. Boy, we haven't had a new character in a long time. It has been a while. And we haven't had a, like a new person. We've had Moses and 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 Pharaoh and, and, and all that. Aaron. Own, yeah. And Miriam and all that, but but we haven't had a new teammate on this on the Bible yet. It's true. Suddenly, we're going to meet a very important person. His name is going to be Betzalel, son of Uri, son of Chur, from the tribe of Judah. And here it says, "See, I have called by a name, Betzalel ben Uri ben Chur, uh, from the tribe of Judah." And later on, when he's talked about again, again, it's going to say the words, "See, I have called a name." See, I have called him. Why is this? And what's, to me, very fascinating is that there's a lot of subtext, subplots in this week's Torah portion. One of them is that we're going to learn about the sin of the golden calf. Part of the golden calf is also, we obviously know idolatry, and we probably guessed because we saw the Hollywood version, some licentiousness. I mean, that's, you know, those go together. But there was also murder. And the, the individual who was murdered was a character that we met before whose name was Chor. We met him only, he was only making cameos. He's the son of Kalev and Miriam, and he is one of the people holding up Moses' arm uh, when they're fighting the, the battle of Amalek. And before that, uh, later on, uh, Moses says, I'm going up to receive the Torah. Aaron and Chor are with you, okay? So Chor is Aaron's right-hand man. He's a helper of Moses. He's a top dude. Uh, and the Medrash tells us that the Jewish people are going to approach him, and they're going to say, all right, now you make us a golden calf. He's going to say no, like Neo in the Matrix. He's going to be like, no, but the, he's n- unable to stop them, and they indeed murder this this heir of Rav, who we can, by the way, calculate how many people that is. About 3,000 people out of the 2 million uh, are, are involved in this. How do we know? Because that's how many that are going to die. 3,000 people approximately are going to die in the plague. That's how many people are really involved in this very, very actively, but in any case... They kill Chur. Chur is murdered. And in this week's Torah portion, the very Torah portion that we're going to, the subtext is that Chur gets murdered. We learn that God says, see, I remember Chur who stood up for the Jews and stood up for me and for the right thing. And here he is uh, in uh, trans, what's it called? Transmi- transmigration of the souls. Yeah. I, I, his, his grandson 
is going to be the person that I'm going to call, and I'm going to call his name. I know he was murdered, but you think you think just because he's murdered, I don't remember, I don't pay back, I, I, I don't, uh, you think that's all, there's no justice? There is justice, and it's going to be Betzal ben Uri ben Khur. He is going to be this super artisan, super artisan, who's going to not only just be an artisan and do what I told him, he's going to, he's going to have some kind of true wisdom, right? <laughs> it, it, the word is, I just want to read this line, I filled him with a godly spirit with wisdom, insight, and knowledge, and with every craft. I mean, in a sense, being the architect and chief artist of the Mishkan, B'Tzalel is the embodiment of what we mean when we talk about Tzalem Elohim, that, 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 that humanity is created in the image of God. You know, think back to however many months ago it was when we, when we talked about the story of creation, that we, when we speak about humanity created in the image of God, at that point in the narrative, we only have one image of what God is, and that's creator. So therefore, we could make a very easy argument that the godly within humanity is this ability to create, to have some conception within ourselves that we then are able to bring out into the world through our skills and imagination, right? Even though, of course, we're not on the level of God where he looks at creation and says, that's good. That's perfectly reflective of my will. We always have that certain tragedy of the creative impulse and the inability to truly manifest. But God graces B'tzala with these, with the, you know, chokhmah, Bina udat with the ability to to receive wisdom, to understand, and then to embody it. And his very name means uh, in the, the shadow of in God. The shadow of God, right? Betzel el Haita. right? So, so in and a by sense, the way, just parenthetically, here in Jerusalem, of course, the great Hebrew University uh, division uh, for for it's architecture, independent art school, right here on the corner. Right, right, right. But it, but I think it's part of now Hebrew, Could but be, it, yeah. it started as independent art school, uh, and it, it was started by those Zionists, those secular Zionists who I so lament the fact that we can't find them around today so many, which are secular Zionists who love the Bible, love Jewish imagery, love the fact that this is a Jewish state, maybe not an oppressively orthodox one in, in somebody's mind, but certainly a, a one that, that in, loves its characters, and it was called Betzalel. After the, the great, great ad- artist Betzalel, which right. I don't know if you've ever seen up the street here, you can see incredible murals that he did in the, uh, the great shul of the community of Aleppo. You should go mm-hmm. check it out, by the way, if you've never seen it. In Addis. Mm-hmm. Addis, um, of course. The, so the power here is reflective of what the Mishkan is, meaning if the Mishkan, if the tabernacle is meant to be um, the place where God meets Israel, in that sense, creation receives its unity between heaven and earth. But Salel is that person who embodies the divine within humanity because of his, his creative capacity. So that is that we're going to meet Betzalel, and we're also going to meet uh, his helper, uh, who is Oholiav, Oholiav, son of Achisamach from the tribe of Dan. And basically, they're going to make all the stuff. Okay, so that the, these are two new characters. They'll play a, a larger role later on. And suddenly, to me, a little bit out of nowhere, the Sabbath makes another appearance. The Sabbath makes a lot of appearances throughout the Torah, but once again, we're commanded on the Sabbath. Um, and... Um, there's, this is very quotable. Vishamaru b'nei Israel to Shabbat, lasotah to Shabbat, l'doratam b'rit olam. The Jewish people, the children of Israel kept the Sabbath, famously, right? It's not that the Jews kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept the Jews. Uh, the Jews kept the Sabbath to do the Sabbath uh, for their generations. It's an eternal covenant between me and the children of Israel. It is a sign that God created the world in six days, He created heaven and the earth, and the seventh He rested. This, I mean, this is just one of the markers, as Rashi will say shortly, that ain muktam the muhaba Torah, right? That, that, that you can't necessarily assume that the narrative presentation is is reliant upon a chronology. That there's a conceptual presentation that's that's being 
offered here. And in that sense, there are two things that are important to remember. One, that the laws of Shabbat in their details are learned from the process of the construction of the Mishkan. So it makes perfect sense that at the end of that construction, we would get a reminder that what the Mishkan is in space, Shabbat is in time. That it is essentially, you spoke about the power of a cathedral and its ability to impart awe. So, so Shabbat is a cathedral in time. And it therefore has to, it takes an intricate construction and a cultivation of a consciousness that allows you to feel that awe of time. Um, and on a slightly more prosaic level, God is pointing out to Amisrael, you might think that once you've created this place for me in space, that the place I require in time takes a second sort of second place. So therefore, don't violate Shabbat in order to build this. Keep these priorities straight. The Shabbat is part of the fabric of creation, and the Mishkan is the, the power of humanity to embody that in the physical world. So you're not allowed to, uh, uh, I always forget this word, the opposite of sanctify, to desecrate the, the Sabbath to build the Mishkan. Correct. You're not allowed to do that. Okay. Note to all you building the Mishkan out there. Right. Oh, there are people that do. There are people I've that do. I've seen a couple of them. Yeah. Now, um, so far, so good. Okay, but here we go. Okay, you guys ready? It's, it's all downhill from it's, here. It's 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 gonna get it's gonna get like a maelstrom here of wildness. And the first thing is, I'll start with another little joke here, little Torah jokes. That's right. If you like Torah jokes, write me an email: yishai at thelandofisrael dot com. Yishai at thelandofisrael dot com. And you could write in if you have Torah jokes. I love I, I love Jewish jokes. And Stop Torah him jokes. now, please. Stop uh, him now. You write to me, folks. You write to me. Don't be embarrassed. Don't listen to the rabbi here on this one. All right. Keep it up. We got We got to know when to laugh at this stuff. Now, here's my Torah joke. One of the reasons why we're going to do the the deal with the golden calf issues is because it says that Moses was delayed. He didn't come back exactly in time, and and there's some discussion about how much he was delayed. Uh, he didn't come down at the sixth hour. He didn't come down. And my joke is, this is what happens when you're overly yekish. You see what happens when you're, you're overly into the clock in Judaism? What happens is you're like, oh, it didn't fulfill the clock. It didn't, it didn't come in on time. There is no God. There is no God. Forget <laughs> it. Just flip out. doesn't matter. I tell that to God by my right. shul. I always tell people, like, be, be a little bit more Hasidic and you'll see. So God's a little late. Moses is a little late. It's all right. You know? It's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Let's, let's have a lechaim. Let's dance and sing. Everything's going to be okay. And keep believing in God. I bet that doesn't work in your shul. It, yeah, no. The, the, it's, it's on the dot. I like, I like force them to wait an extra 10 seconds to start Meyer and stuff. Any case, uh, but basically there's a, fa- a, a fascinating story where Moses is, a, is seemingly delayed or there's a miscalculation. And the Medrash says, and Rashi mentions, that basically the devil, the, uh, the, the, the dark Wait, force. We don't, we don't believe in the devil. Whatever, that, whatever Satan means, the Satan, whatever the accuser. Means, the accuser, let's call it, the trickster, whatever it is. He, he, no, an accuser is very specifically the language. Well, in this case, he's going to be waving around the bed of Moses. He's going to give him a false... You, you, talk, you heard about fake news? Yeah. It's going to be fake news. Mo, okay? He shows them the pictures of Moshe's deathbed. He, he shows them Moshe's deathbed, uh, deathbed is, is, is uh, waving around, is, uh, is, is hovering around, and they're like... <gasps> And and the the sense is like oh my God Moses is dead. Not only is Moses like uh, this intermediary to God, he's also the guy that brought us out of Egypt. Like he's everything, and now we're stuck. And he's also the the, the lid that has kept us really from. Okay, it's kept us like a like a good religious people. Like he he always brings us back to the right place because we have these internal ir- urges. It seems, and immediately uh, the the people rise up and they and they tell Aaron Aaron. Um. We don't know where this person Moses is. Uh, we don't know what happened to him. And uh, make for us gods that will go before us. 
Before we get there, I know you, you have an urge to get to the, the meat of the story, but we need to pause on this idea of the Satan. I mean, you threw that out there like it was a given. Um, but it's important to remember that the imagery in the Midrash, and mm-hmm. even in the, the one or two places that it appears in the Bible itself, is, is about an inner dialogue, sometimes in God's mind, so to speak, and sometimes in the human mind. Meaning the people, and the reason that I insist that the translation is the accuser, is that that how often does it happen that we are on the right path and we derail ourselves because of a lack of belief, um, because of, uh, of fear, because of a lack of confidence? So here these people have an incredible momentum. Ten plagues, Red Sea, battle with Amalek, they're following the pillar of fire, they just stood at Sinai, like everything's going the right way. But you see how deep the psychology of self-doubt um, and, and particularly a feeling of unworthiness we, we were slaves. We were at the lowest le- spiritual level you could ever imagine. We were at the 49th gate where we were almost done. How could it possibly be? It must be a mistake. We didn't, God didn't really mean it. He didn't really give us the Torah. So as soon as Moshe disappears, that voice becomes overwhelmingly loud. And that's how I understand the sages saying that the, the Satan showed them all these images. What do you mean he showed them? They saw these images themselves because they didn't believe they were worthy of being at this moment. Okay. I, I like that very much. I like that very much. Uh, but I will... I'll throw out to you that that at at, at other pinnacle moments, uh, for example, at the at the Garden of Eden, one it's hard to say that that Adam and Eve lacked a tremendous sense of self confidence, but the snake plays that role as a tempster. Uh, is that is that the right way to pronounce it? Uh, okay, it's a matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I'm just saying there's 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 a force that wants to derail you at the very height. And that also, by the way, is Amalek. Uh, at the very height of the ability to, to come to the land of Israel, there comes the force of Amalek. And these, to me, the snake, the, the, the recuser that you talked about, or, or the uh, Satan, whatever that is, or the Amalek, these are dark energies in this world. By the way, I want to tell you, as I, 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 you and I have been in a rush today, uh, I parked the car, I was listening to Galetzal Army Radio, and this Knesset member came on, who I know is like, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, let's put it this way I think she gets her paycheck from the forces of evil okay <laughs> I, 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 I want to say it right without without you know I just know that she's bad she's really really bad I mean really 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 bad Every, everything she does is, is involved in, 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 in being in, in cahoots with the European forces, with the Arab forces, with every force that wants to... She hates every like rabbi that they ever talk about now she's calling for Rabbi Levenstein to be fired she's a real bad one okay and and I was like, I don't know, lately I've been a little bit more sensitive to how much bad there is around. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more, I used to be like happy-go-lucky, I don't see any of that stuff. Recently, and that's also a Chabad mentality, which is don't give any strength to the... Don't see it. Don't see it, don't give them any strength. But recently I'm like, I'm like there is a maelstrom of evil around us. Sometimes it's within, sometimes it's without. And whatever that force is, it could be an accuser, it could be our own self-doubt, or it could be just plain old... The, the forces that don't like God and don't like that kind of energy, they're out there and they are very, very active. They are, although I'm going to hold out for the idea that ultimately we are the agents in creation and therefore the voice within is the one that matters. Okay. There you have it. I think that's a machloket l'shem shemaim. That's, that, that's very We'll leave fair. it there. We'll leave it at that. And also we have a lot more to go through. Uh, so in any case, um, there's going to be a group of people it's impo- I, I think it's also important to distinguish that it's not all the Jews that are involved in this, but, 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 but whatever it is, a significant portion of people are going to want, uh, they're going to want a gods. They're going to want a gods. That's the plural form there. Uh, and um, basically, uh, for what's understood to be kind of a stall technique, Aaron is going to ask them for their gold. Give me your gold. And it's, 
This well, not good. just yours. They asked from, from the wife and the from children. From the wives and the children. Hopefully, that'll be a delay. Yeah. You want what? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you can ask your teenage daughter, give me your gold. All that stuff you just got your bat mitzvah, right? Right. I'm going to throw it in the fire there and make R- an idol. Right. But but seems like they uh, they did it. And and suddenly, he fashions it out of, um, uh, bound it up in a cloth, fashions it into a molten calf. Um, and... This word masecha means like molten, right? It means like it a, means either molten, and it can also be read as a mask. Right, exactly. That's exactly what I wanted to get to, and I want to talk about that. We'll talk about that later. Remember that the that the eagle is also kind of a, a mask. It's a mask. Remember that we just come out of Purim. It's a bit of a mask, and they said these are your gods, Israel, who took you out of Egypt, and uh, and Aaron is involved here. Aaron, on the one hand, is the great lover of Israel. And he's willing to, to famously to uh, soften corners in order, for example, in terms of telling fibs. He's willing to fib a little bit in order to bring people together. He's a diplomat, a perfect diplomat. At this point, though, he may, maybe maybe bends and succumbs to the will of the people too much. He also sees, according to the Medrash, the body of Khur, as I mentioned before, in front of him. And he realized that if they killed also Aaron, which they would be willing to do, then the nation would be in deep trouble because he's a prophet, he's the high priest. Forget about it. And so uh, they wake up in the morning and they offer up offerings to this false god and they, they, they drink, they eat, and they stand up to do merry, merriment, revel. Make merry. Make merry. And we know what that means. There's all kinds of uh, bacchanalia happening. And um, that's the golden calf. What, what a... So what more can you say? <laughs> yeah. No, the, so the question is, is what's the sin here? You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a deep and quite significant argument in the classic sources of whether this is a sin of idolatry, mm-hmm. which on the surface of it, it certainly appears to be, or whether it isn't actually something more fundamental to the human personality and the need for for objectification of God. And those are two very close items. But but when you say objectification, you mean I mean, why do people stand some, up when, some when, kind a, of, when some a kind of way to serve? Yeah, what, why do people stand up when a Torah scroll comes into the room? Right. Why do we have a direction of prayer to the point where on your phone, I'm willing to bet you have a compass that'll show you which way Jerusalem is, where you are in the world. Absolutely. Right. Um, I mean, these seems to seem strangely embodied when we're talking about the infinite, all-powerful, you know, unified God. Right. And so, Rabbi Huda Levi, right, the great poet laureate of uh, medieval Spain, and and also tremendous um, philosophical thinker. And, and mystic thinker, says it wasn't idolatry. It wasn't idolatry because what do the people want a replacement for? Do they want a new God? No. What do they want? An intermediary, a way to serve They, they want Moshe. Right. They want Moshe. And, right. and here what comes to light, as he explains, is the incredible passivity that we've seen from Am Yisrael since the moment of the Exodus, something which bothered you, as I recall, that you never really liked the plague story because Am Yisrael is completely passive. And, and that passivity, if you recall, also I had said we're going to see where it comes to a head. To a head. And that's exactly here. That in the moment where Moshe is removed from them, we see that the people have actually not really been invested in this process up to now at all. And, and so therefore they feel completely adrift. And, and what's the evidence? And so Rabbi Yehuda says that, that the people's desire was a legitimate desire. They wanted something to, to, to orient toward, but that they did it without permission. So that, I like your compass metaphor. I like yeah, that. no, it's a very important because why? Because what happens? At the end of the day, so, so Moshe's up on the mountain, he gets the tablets. Right. The people have, they're dancing in circles around this calf. He comes down. Right. He breaks the tablets. Why does he break them? The obvious reason. What would have happened if he'd given them the tablets? They would have turned it into idolatry? They would have just put it right there in the middle with the calf. Right, right. 
right? It's like, oh, great. But then somehow, and this is the mystery of how, how Rabbi Yudah Levi and many of the other Rashi amongst them um, commentators read this. The response to this all is God gives them instead what? A tabernacle. He gives them the tabernacle, That's which right. is something to orient themselves right. around. Right. Because he recognizes that there's, there is a need within humanity. We are physical creatures. And in, in, in order to move away from the idolatrous, you cannot move away from the embodied. Right. So the, and there's an idea that every kind of sin that Jewish people are going to do later on in, in history, there's going to be a tinge of, of the golden calf. Um, but then there's also this, what you're saying, it's like the, a little bit the opposite, which is like, there was something, how should we say, beautiful? Should we say uh, there was something in the sin something of the golden natural. calf? Something natural. Right, which, which was not taken as, as a... Um, well, it's, it's not exactly clear. We kind of we kind of understand that later on. There is going to be an offer made to Moses. Forget it, stiff-necked people. How about I just wipe them out and put you instead? Yeah, but even that is is a little bit suspect, right? The, what happens? God says to Moses, "Stop, you know, interfering. Get, you get out of my way, and I'm going to wipe these people out." And Moses, hold me back. Yeah, exactly. And Moses yeah. is like, "I wasn't interfering." It's like two kids in the playground, right? Or, or, or they no, don't really want to fight. Says I wasn't interfering. He says, "He says, listen, I'm going to wipe me. I, this is your people." That's what he steps in afterwards. But God yeah. basically says, "Stop." Interfering, well, I can't interfere with you. You're God. You're G-D. Not only that, but I wasn't doing anything up to now. That's right. the two kids in the playground. The one right. who grabs his friend says, "Hold me back! Hold me back!" Right. Right. So, so there, there's a process of maturation which is going on in mm-hmm. both Moshe and the people. Is that God is 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 offering a situation here where there's a depth of relationship which comes out of this failure, which actually wasn't available before it happened, and that's that is the critical piece I think in making the bridge to right. the the awesome drama which lies ahead. And, and, and there's a maturation, and, and there's going to be a maturation for the people. They're going to be punished. There's going to be a maturation also for Moses as a person who's willing to stand up for his nation and willing to completely, you know, here in Israel, we're always complaining that Knesset members are just willing, they're stuck to their seats. Right. They, you know, they, they, they don't want to lose power. Moses like, erase me. Don't, if, you don't, if you don't go to the land, take us to the land of Israel, kill us here. Me personally, erase me from your book. I want nothing to do with it. You know, we you got to be in it, and, and and if not, I don't. It's not about me being in it; it's about you being in it, and that's a, that's a very powerful thing. God says to the Jew, to Moses, He says this very powerful phrase: "Saru maher min asher They've quickly gone astray from the path which I commanded them. Right, and He also says they're your people, and right, not mine. That's right, and, and there's such a subtle Hebrew discourse here that's going to start. Now we're going to start. Now we're entering a process which I have been uh, quote unquote dreading a little bit because it's just so intricate. There's so much back and forth here uh, of a conversation between God. And you know what I want to tell you about this? It's almost like this Torah portion is like, imagine if you had a, a, a hidden camera in the green room, okay? Mm-hmm. It's like behind the scenes action here. Yeah. It's like, it's like I didn't know I was supposed to be, I feel a little uncomfortable about it. I didn't know I was supposed to be privy to this. And some of these readings are the very readings that we learn about when we ask God for forgiveness, this, we're going to learn it from these very, very places. Um, and the first argument that, that, that Moses proffers up, and he says, because God is like, God wants to uh, destroy the Jewish people. And Moses immediately says to them, says to God, uh, he, he, first God says to them, leave me alone, my anger will flare, I'll eat them, and I'll make you into great nations. Moshe immediately goes into appeasement, and he says, listen, uh, why should you be angry? You took them out of the great hand. It's your doing. You knew who they were. And also now, if you kill them, Egypt is going to laugh at you. Everybody's going to mock you and say, you just took them out to, to kill your nation. And now also, by the way, remember, don't forget that people you really did like, 
these people may not be so great, but remember their their progenitors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, you swore to them. Hint, hint, come on. You swore to them, right? It, and so therefore, you got to fulfill that as well. You said that you'll make their seed m- many and great. Um, and, and all these various arguments, it says, it says outwardly, outwardly and uh, facially that that it, it it appeased God it like it worked on him it, it, it he he made good arguments Moses I mean it's one of the more challenging elements in here theologically is this word Hashem al which which if we we're going to translate it simply he it would say that he was consoled he was consoled or he regretted the evil he was going to do remember that that word Vinachim means both consoled and regretted mm-hmm. um and and truth it means neither is it really means that he changed his mind right and and this we see it across the board every place it appears back from the story of noah where it appears for the first time going way forward in our narrative when it appears after god decides that shaul is no longer fit to be king of israel right that, and and there the prophet samuel actually says israel, lo lo israel. right the eternal one of israel doesn't lie and he doesn't change his mind Right. Uh, first of all, in the narrative there, he actually changed his mind about who's going to be king. Right. Here we have the direct statement. So like, what, what does this mean? What does it mean? And, and I think it has to do with the whole process we're going through. What, how is it possible that the, the Jewish people stood at Sinai, received the Torah after going 10 plagues, Red Sea, pillar of fire, all this stuff, and then just blew it? Just blew it. Like the Gemara says, right? That it was like Kalash Zinta Tapat Chupatahat Chupata. She was like a, a like a bride who who ran off and had a little alone time with the best man at the right at her wedding. You look at how could such a thing occur? And then furthermore, how could God forgive? And and I think the answer there really rests on that tension between Vinachem meaning consoled, Vinachem meaning regret, which is that. In the end of the day, it's not God that changes. It's Am Yisrael and Moshe. That, that in the transformation which we undergo through this failure, what comes out the other side is not the same people. And so therefore God can honestly say, those other people I destroyed, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I haven't changed in that sense. Mm-hmm. Those people no longer exist. Moshe's great defense of the people when he says, yeah, destroy me. That's it, I'm gone. That Moshe you knew... He's no longer here anymore. Those people that you, you thought you were going to destroy, right. they're not here anymore. Right. Uh, you're saying a very deep thing, and, and, uh, and I just uh, I want to tell you that there are certain sins that the Zohar says cannot be cleansed. So the Hasidim say, uh, that's right, they cannot be cleansed, and so therefore you just have to become a new person. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, uh, and <laughs> on the one hand, you know, I, I have also learned many times that when you talk to God, make good arguments. Make good arguments for, for sure. you. You, you got you to make those arguments. But on the other hand, I want to tell you something that, that I kind of my own inner Hasidic thing that I do. You know, I have to say Kaddish all the time. For some reason, whenever I stop saying Kaddish, I start saying Kaddish again for somebody. And then now I'm saying Kaddish for my grandmother who passed away and I'm the, it fell on me. And uh, my grandmother, Bella, was my father's mother. Uh, but I always say to myself, I'm also saying Kaddish for me, the person I was yesterday or the person I was an hour ago. Like I'm, I got to be a new person and I, and I like... I'm saying Kaddish for the mistake, and also the ability to forgive yourself yes. for the mistakes you made. So at nighttime, on the Kriya Shema of the nighttime, you're supposed to forgive everybody. There's the first paragraph of the, the, the Sfarad version anyway, is that you're supposed to forgive anybody who's wronged you. And I always say to myself, and that includes you. 
as in me, as in I'm so, I've got to forgive myself for anything I've wronged myself, anything, any stupid thing that I've done, any mistakes that I've done. You got to also forgive yourself, but that also means like you're new again. You're like, you're not, you're not holding on to that baggage. You're taking those, those mistakes, go changing with, along with them, but now you're new, you're whole again. So there's a very fine line there, which uh, I know a lot of people are very uncomfortable with the act of self-forgiveness because they associate it with letting themselves off the hook. Right, right. Right, and, and, and the difference really lies in our Parsha, which is that the, the forgiveness is what leads to a deeper relationship. Because, of course, what comes after this great defense of Moshe you just mentioned is God says, okay, fine, go and make, well, first he goes down, he has to break the, I forgot, he has to break the, Break the old world. Right, which is, which is, which is let's not take that for granted. You, you got God's uh, Ten Commandments. Like, no, dude, that's your medicine. You need that right now. You need this thing to go down and help the people get back up. This is the meds, man. Don't break it. But no, no, Moses says, no, 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 no. You don't, you're not going to deserve this, and there needs to be drama. See, TNT, we know drama, okay? <laughs> there's, there's a moment of drama here. The moment is God, Moses is not going to be like, Oh gosh, you guys need a band-aid. I'm I'm here for you. He's like, whoa, 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 there's a break. You broke something, I'm breaking something. And he's also gonna tell God, like you said, like like we're gonna start this anew. I'm I'm gonna remake the contract this time. I'm gonna have to rewrite the contract. Uh and 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 I heard today from Rabbi Ed Shalom that basically he was also saying to God, like, you can't you you can't throw out your people, like we're gonna write the contract. This last thing that maybe was bad written was Somehow the people couldn't accept it. It's broken, but we're going to rewrite it with you. It's because this whole shift from the passive to the active. Up until now, everything was given right. to them. It right. was put upon them, mm, mm, right? Mm. So if Moshe had come down with those tablets at this point, they would have said, great, and they would have put them right in the middle next to the golden calf and danced around them, which is why, you know what the last Rashi in the entire Torah is? Right, all the great things with Moshe, Asher, Asam Moshe, Bene, Kol Yisrael, right? And so what's Rashi say? What's the great thing he did? He says that he broke the tablets. Right. That, oh, that's Reish Lakish's famous, famous phrase, Yashakoach uh, Asher uh, Shibarta, right? Because ultimately what Moshe did was he freed them from a law which would become a new slavery. Mm-hmm. And in carving the second set of tablets himself, like you said, in them writing the tablets themselves, he opened them to the idea of a law which could become an expression of who they were, right? Because the great day in which he's going to come down on the, after the second tablet, so he comes down, he sees the calf, shatters the tablets, says to the people, oh, you blew it, but don't worry, I can make good. He goes up and we'll speak about what happens in a second. But when he comes down with the second tablets, what day is it? Uh, Yom Kippur? It's Yom Kippur. Right, Yom Kippur, right, the, right. Ga- the day of atonement, which tells you something very profound, is that what, what, what tshuva, what repentance means, is to come to want for myself what God had wanted for me all along. I mean, it's not enough that the law says, this is what God wants for you, and I sort of like stick myself into a box and I do what I'm supposed to because I'm told to do. Because what happens then? As soon as the box opens up, I jump out. Right? As soon as Moshe goes away, the people right. worship now the cat. Now it's going to come by choice. Now it's going to come. Now it's going to actually be who they are. Right. And in that sense, they come to want for themselves what God had wanted for them all along. And that's the process that they're going through right now. Now God is going to give them a different offer. He's gonna make, God is going to make a counter offer, though. Okay? It's there's, there's negotiation, negotiation going, going on here. Sure. You know, always negotiating. You know? And, and the, yeah, the negotiation here is God says, uh, it, this, this is so, so funny. It's like, fine, I'll fulfill my bargain or my oath. But I'm going to do it in a cold manner, in a tepid manner. I, I'm going to send an angel and an, an, an angel, but he'll take care of you, right? Everything's going to be fine. You know how we talked about it, it's going to be fine. You're going to be a nation like all other nations. Everything's going to be fair. Everything's going to be fine. My promise, so I will keep. But it won't be the me me, 
won't be the internal. My face shall not go with you. My angel will, right? And uh, and c- can we have a deal there? Isn't that good enough? And every, everybody's going to be happy. All of you, you know, semi-idolater f- figures, it'll be okay. It won't be as of a, like a, why? Because if I'm with you, my face is with you, that's like a burning fire. You know, it's dangerous. I'm going to, like one day you're going to do something. I'm going to lose it. You'll be able to blow it again. Right. So, so, so what a, what a deal, you know? But Moses and the people are grief stricken by this offer. They're, they they are they they absolutely do not want this offer. Uh, that that is a bad piece of news. Uh, the people heard this bad tiding. They became grief stricken, and no one donned his jewelry. They had this jewelry that they got uh, some kind of like halo, some kind of glow crowns or something, some kind of yeah. like 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 light crown that they got. They, they they wouldn't put it off, and and they had to kind of strip it off afterwards anyway. Um, and then another thing that's going to happen is that Moses is going to move his tent out from the people. Remember, he starts as a shepherd, but now he's going to go up a mountain without the sheep, without the animals, and now he has to remove himself from the flock. He's got to kind of be, he's becoming a little bit otherworldly a little bit. He's becoming a little bit more on, kind of, he's moving over more to the godly side than, than, than the people's side, the hoi polloi. Uh, but, but at the same time, people would see when, when Moses would speak with God, when he would enter uh, this tent of meeting, everybody would rise up. They would see the cloud uh, above this uh, this little tent, and it was just somehow he 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 uh, he has to separate himself, and then he starts to plead for God's nearness. I'm also using, by the way, just again, uh, just two. I want to take a little moment of housekeeping here. Uh, excellent work done by the art scroll, the blue chumash, the stone chumash. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It helps me a lot. Also, another tool that I've been using recently that I like very much is OU Radio. Uh, has a podcast called Shnai Mikra Targum, and it's usually either Rabbi Yitzchak Shalom or uh, Rabbi uh, Weinrib, the Herschel Weinrib. They do a great job. They just do a great job of teaching it verse by verse. Great stuff. And uh, and use those tools, you know, get get in deep with it. And in any case, uh, there's there's a back and forth now uh, where where Moses will say things like, and now if I have found favor in your eyes, make your way known to me so that I may comprehend you um uh, be, be, may comprehend uh, this is there's mistranslation here so that I may comprehend you you have found favor in my eyes but you because you've said that I have found favor in your eyes but see that this nation is your people basically there's an issue of Moses I'm, I'm I want to be close to you like you promised I'm special to you um this nation is your people and now I also want more depth I'm gonna say something a little bit um I, I don't know how you're gonna handle this I I started realizing that maybe do you know how there's like an expression like people have a lovers quarrel like like there's sometimes like like lovers will will have a fight but afterwards they'll be, be come even closer together mm-hmm. there's something like that here there's like a horrible break which leads to a unbelievable closeness that we never expected before no question no question because what you're seeing here is the definition of committed relationship right you see that because what happens is is that that all relationships on some level will begin to function as their own vessel, right? Each person has their role. We have our boundaries. We have the way we work together. It's when when a shattering moment like this occurs that you either fall apart or reach new depths. Right. And and the, the, what defines the ability to reach do, new depths is the commitment to one another. That's what, that's what Moshe says. No, no, wipe me out. 
It's you or nothing, God. Right. And in saying that, God I don't, realizes. I don't want a tepid version either. Yeah, no, not not that. No, don't. I'm not interested in in living in separate rooms, right? Like the the what I'm after here is the depth of relationship which is available. You're right. We failed. We failed. All right. That's fine. We're still in the game. So, 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 the, so everything that you're explaining means that the golden calf was was also an opportunity of sorts. There's a break, but there's a yearning for more closeness. As is always true, and this, by the way, goes to the heart of the biblical narrative, because if you don't accept the fact that failure is the gateway to depth of relationship, then right. there's no way to understand the world in which we live. But the sin of the spies was not a will as interest of, of more relationship. That was a real cut. Let's wait. I'm just trying wait. to say there's a big dif- dif- difference. Let's wait till we get there. Fine. No, but... <laughs> wait till we get there. Yeah. Wait. What? Hold okay. it. Okay. I know how you feel about that story. Okay. All right. All right. We'll talk about that later. And it's true. We are limited in time here today. Let's get. Let, let's move through it now. Uh, basically, uh, God says to Moses, he's going to say, Moses is going to say, you know, I want to see the full thing. I want to understand how you work. I want to understand good and evil. I want to understand justice. I want to understand what this world's about. I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. And God's going to say, well, even you, you can't handle that because whenever a person sees my full glory, he like, it gets eviscerated, not just because of the laser powerful light, but because basically if you see the whole thing, it's like you become decomposed back into God. It's like there's no separation anymore. What it is to be human is to have a certain narrowness of vision because, again, that narrowness of vision allows us to live a life of separateness. Right. And a life of separateness is what allows us to have a relationship. So God knows that and he says, no problem. I'm going to put you, check this out. Here's an image. I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock in a cave shall we say and then I'm going to like cover it and I'm going to pass in front of it when I pass in front of it I'm going to remove the covering and you're going to see my back right I mean that's drama come on we know drama come on this is drama I didn't argue with you alright maybe the Red Sea but we we can have that, that discussion off the air the the power here is what it really means to see um, I hate to go back to your spy story but to see God's the, the back so to speak is exactly what Kalev Caleb and Joshua were able to see, as it, God says, of the mulu acharai, that they 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 were fully behind me. Wow! But the the language is the same because they were able to relate to the world. See, the big challenge of the world is to assert that there's one God and live in a world of multiplicity. We live in a world of multiplicity. There are many powers that act on us. The world is very fragmented. Things right. fall apart. People fail. And, and by they the way, dance that, around calves. Right. The calf thing was also in part, as I understood, also kind of wanting, wanting, not doubting that there's a God, but wanting like representations of different powers in this world. For sure. Because that's the way the world appears. And right. the ability to see that very multiplicity as an expression of unity mm-hmm. is what it means to see the back. To see the back end. Like in, in a, you know, you're, you're looking at a, at, a, at a screen of a website. And you're looking at many manifestations, but but the programmer sees the back end. That's right. He sees how it's all actually one thing. So that's what there was that's a matrix moment seen. there. There was a matrix yeah, moment right, right there. I, I felt that you got to look at it in code. In any case, uh, God says to 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 Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, take up a new tablets. This time, you're going to be the writer of it. Again, notice the shift in initiative. By the way, most likely you're going to be less likely to break it if you're going to be the one who writes it, right? But it's also the shift <laughs> in initiative because Psolachag doesn't just mean you do it. It, in a sense, means now make yourself into right. these tablets right. on which I can write. God passes his glory in front of, of this this proverbial cave. Uh, this this cleft is a little bit more romantic of a word. And then, and then Hashem passes before him and God proclaims these 13 attributes Hashem, Hashem, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in kindness and truth, preserver of kindness for thousands of generations, forgiver of iniquity, willful sin and error, and who cleanses but does not cleanse completely, recalling the iniquity of parents upon children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That's only those people who 
continue in that path, of course, but continue yeah. in the path. And that that phrase is actually like a, uh, you know, that's one of these gifts uh, of use this phrase. This is the code word. That's what God says, that it's a covenant. Right. That it, it's a covenant that, that God has given that there is such a thing as mercy. And it's really important to realize that these 13 attributes of mercy are precisely what emerges out of any relationship, a committed relationship, which experiences breaking and failure, and yet through that breaking and failure reaches new depth. Because what's the Hebrew word for mercy? Rachamim. Rachamim, which has its roots in Reish Chet Mem. It is? A womb. Rechem. It's a womb. It, well, what's a womb if it's not the ability to make space for others to grow? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and that's exactly what God realizes. He says, he said, wow, the, the fact that Moshe and the people are still in the game after all that, I need to make actually space for them to grow into this instead of just pushing it on them from without. And when he grows the Jew, him, he, he, God, in a, sense, in a sense, overcomes himself through that change that we talked about. But he's also going to concur or agree with Moses, fine, your people are not going to be just a nation amongst the nations, but they're going to be a special nation. Yep. They're going to do awful, wondrous things with this people. And there's even a few um, uh, words here that also mean like there's going to be uh, the maaseh, the thing I'm going to do with this nation is norahu. Mm. It's it's awful in both meanings of the word. Like yes. It's awe, and it's also pretty awful. It it's inhuman. Be, yeah, it's going to be pretty awful. And, and right there, I'm like, I'm like, Holocaust, right there. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be stuff, there's going to be crazy stuff. Well, because remember, the, the truth of the matter is, is that peoples throughout history have had incredible, awful tragedies. The difference is that we're still telling the story. That's that we're right. still, to pe- still the same people. It's because of that committed relationship as a strong enough vessel to hold even something as strong as the Holocaust. Right. Now, and, and that, so you're going to go through crazy stuff, but then when you get back to your land, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to cleanse the land of all of its idolatry, the other nations, seven nations. I need you to get rid of them. Don't cut any deals with them. Don't go for a two-state solution. Don't make a peace plan or a semi-autonomy or anything like that. Uh, I need you to get rid of these folks because they're going to be... How do you know that be, God wasn't a leftist? Uh, he, he was not a leftist. And he says, uh, because he says the next phrase, uh, their, high pl- their, their uh, altars you should break apart, their high places you should destroy, and cut down their, their uh, idolatrous trees. Don't bow down to any other God because guess what? I am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous of this relationship. You want it like this? It's got to be a jealous relationship. And this land, I need it to be cleared just for me. By the way, sometimes I think about liberalism, right? This is a very illiberal line, right? Destroy their thing. Sure. But then God is, but but that so that sounds very illiberal, right? What about you know you'd serve the other? What? Yeah, you serve your God, I serve my God. You know, we could, we could all be co-equal in this little. So it sounds very liberal. But here's another liberal way: the whole rest of the world, that's for the nations. They can do their idolatry there. Make me be liberal with me. Give me a small plot of land. Make a space for me in this world, God says. That's liberal. You don't need to be liberal with the people in your land. They'll have other places. Be liberal with me. I need a place, and you're the only ones who are going to do it. Make a small place for me. It's New Jersey size, for God's sakes. Make a small <laughs> little place for me and, 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 and give me that space in this world. And we never think about it that way. Well, I think there's also the element that without that space, it won't exist for the people. Meaning there, we, from 3,000 plus years later perspective, may find this challenging, but, but um, they themselves needed to be able to enter into the fullness of that relationship. There needs to be a space of intimacy, right? You know, meaning a healthy marriage can be exposed to many challenges and, and uh, you know, cross currents in relationships, et cetera, but not if it doesn't have that space of intimacy where the two can be alone. 
Okay, that, that says a lot there. And Hamei Vinyavin, who under, he who understands, understands what I'm talking about here, the, these issues. Uh, and if you don't understand, write me an email, yishayatthelandofisrael.com. We'll talk about it. Uh, then it gets, uh, the Torah portion will we'll quickly run to a few laws. We're finishing up really in, in five minutes here. Um, he's going to get to a few laws. The holiday laws. The holiday laws are back again. Just like, just like the Sabbath was back, so are the Jewish calendar. This Jewish calendar has everything to do with the land of Israel. It's going to be a Passover holiday, and it's going to be in the springtime. Springtime here in Israel. If you're living in a country where it's not springtime during Passover, it's not... Move. Yeah, you get, something's not going on, okay? Uh, uh, remember, you know, the, the firstborns, uh, uh, the uh, Shavuot holiday, uh, the, the receiving of the Torah holiday. Um, Don't uh, uh, cook a calf in its mother's milk. Right. <laughs> that we'll have to do a separate podcast on. Uh, and, of course, the Sukkot holiday. And then it says like this. Check this out. Check this out. It's so beautiful. It says, it says, I'll read it in the English, although I love it in the Hebrew so much. It says, um, uh, for I shall banish nations before you and broaden your boundary. No man will covet your land when you go up to appear before Hashem your God three times a year. All right? It actually says in Hebrew, it sounds much better. It's like, ki orish goimi panecha, veherchavti ad gvulecha, velo yachmodi shetatzecha. Three promises, balotcha lerot et pene Hashem lokecha shlosh paimim bashana. God says, M16s or A1s or A2s, whatever it is, they're, they're great. And, and F16s and F35s and all that, that's great. You really want defense? Here's a secret. Come to Jerusalem three times a year. Nobody will covet your land. By the way, can you say today that nobody, uh, that our land is widened and is bigger? I could, I'll could. i make a case that today is small, smaller. It keeps getting smaller and smaller, right? We lost Gaza recently 10 years ago and we keep on shrinking, right? Does nobody covet our land? Seems like everybody's coveting our land. Um, which one did I miss? Uh, and, and our nations, are we getting rid of nations or are nations kind of getting rid of us? So, so you know, the Torah's little um, promise to how to really, uh, what's it called? What, what is a, doc- a prescription is, is come to Jerusalem three times a year. Well, I mean, and this is the pattern that you can actually watch play itself out in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, which is that the physical security of the Jewish people is always dependent upon their spiritual security, right? And Jerusalem is the embodiment of that. So there's, there's a deep challenge here, which um, I would say, you know, a you know, weapons and, and military aside, that there is no way to defend your land when all of the men of your nation are in one place at one time. And so therefore, it's an absolute expression of the fact that God is the sovereign. It's a faith. It's a, it's a, it's a real bitachon. Uh, uh, trust. Trust. Let's finish up by saying basically that um, Moses is up on the mountain, a renewed covenant, uh, 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down the mountain and do you remember what I told you before to remember that the golden calf is also a kind of golden mask? Mm-hmm. Here, Moses is going to come down, but there's going to be a little problem. He's going to have super glowing face. Okay, remember those night glow bugs? What do you call the, the, the night light, whatever? Uh, remember those? You squeeze Fire bugs? No, no, no. There was a toy. Yeah, fireflies. There was a toy that, that used to kind of squeeze and their face would light up. His face is lit up. I mean, his not only is his face, and this, this is, I want to I tighten this. It does not say that he had a halo or some kind of light coming up from him. It says his very skin. The skin of his face. The skin of his face was lit up. It was glowing. Okay? And... Uh, I think nicely done in, in, the, in the original Ten Commandments movie, like you've been touched by God, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes down the mountain, and at first the people are like... Terrified. They're, they're terrified. This is really scary. And, and he calls to them, and they come to him. First Aaron, his brother, and then the rest of the, the heads of the tribes. 
And then all the Jewish people, they they nikshuelav, they like come to him, they come to him, uh, and they come up to him. And from then on end, he had to put on a kind of veil, mm-hmm. as opposed to a mask, which was fake. This was a covering. He had to veil his face. Whenever he would see God, he would take off the veil. They would get kind of, let's say, a rejuvenation of that glow, of that energy. And then he would come and teach the people. Only after he taught them what God told them would he veil himself yet again. Meaning to say that the Torah itself, and, and we have, our forefathers and mothers saw that light of Moses' face. And it, and it kind of shines down through the generations. There's a powerful symmetry here with, with Bitzalel. And we talk, I mentioned Bitzalel really embodies that human capacity to, um, to be divine. Elohim, right? Because he has these inner conceptions that he's able to bring out through his artistry. Well, you know what the face is? The face is the part of your body which is most responsive to your soul. That's why we, we say that you, you, know, you look at someone's face and you know what they're thinking, you know how they're feeling, you know. I know you're Russian, so it's a little harder with you. But um, the, the power of what Moshe is experiencing here is that he, the inner connection he's made with God is, is so profound that it's not enough that his facial expression embody it. It's actually the essence, the skin of his face, the very fabric of the most malleable part of your physical being is so responsive to the spiritual aspect of his being that it, it, it shines light. And of course, today we understand, thanks to Einstein and, and another other smart Jews, right, that matter and light are really just a question of how quickly you're moving. And here, this is exactly what it's driving at, is that, is that he's, he's literally been transmuted from matter into light. Uh, and with that, also, he's he's in part left the people a little bit. Yeah, and that's a, there's there's a challenge, a challenge that a also big there's challenge a challenge there, there as well, yeah. uh, because you could you could kind of he he kind of he kind of crossed a boundary, mm-hmm. and, but in order to get back to the boundary to his people, and that's the beauty here is he he doesn't he veils himself <clears throat> he veils him, but he doesn't stick up there in the mountain. He doesn't stay up there in the mountain. He could have yeah. just said, you know what, I've hit hit the pinnacle. I'm not coming down. Moses comes down the mountain. He gets back to his brothers. Is the nations joins him and and yet even if he has to even veil that light, that's okay too. That's pretty cool, and that's the concept of like the thirty six hidden sadiqim. Like sometimes you got to be in this world, and you're willing to to even even subdue your beauty. And sometimes just a thought occurred to me, like Jewish women, so many beautiful Jewish women, uh, thank God. But there's this there's this tzniut uh, 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 principle of modesty, the modesty which you like you like even. W- you know, a little bit subdue that beauty, even though it could shine out to the world, everybody could see it, but you subdue that beauty uh, so, so that... Because depth of relationship occurs in intimacy. It's something you share with those you love. Beautiful. Okay, folks, uh, Torah portion is called Kitisa. Uh, I still maintain it's super dramatic. Don't read it fast. I had a... You know, you know what happened to me on, 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 uh, on, uh, on Purim? I had to hear the Megillah three times. My first night, uh, I, I went to hear Megillah reading. There was a kid reading it, a young guy, uh, and my wife had just brought me a brand new, beautiful Megillah for my 40th birthday. Wow. That was, that was my gift for my 40th that's birthday. Big, that's a big gift. I know. It was a big gift. It was a beautiful, handwritten, beautiful Megillah. I've never had a Megillah, never owned it. And the first reading of it, this kid flew through it, and I'm like, dude, what is the point? Didn't we come here to enjoy this reading? I was, I was upset, and I had to go hear it again. Ooh. I had to go here again. I was like, I, I, I wasn't sure that I was Yotze. You see, I, I, even I can pull off Yakishkeit, you know? And I was just like, I was not satisfied. I went to hear it again. But the second reading was beautiful. So sometimes the second, the first one breaks, mm-hmm. second time goes right. Mamish. All right, folks, write me an email, yishaitthelandofisrael.com. Write to Rabbi Mike at ravmike uh, at uh, thelandofisrael.com as yep. well. So that's really convenient, easy to remember. Uh, connect to us uh, on Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com forward slash Mike. 
yishaifleischer uh, gmail dot com. Actually, uh, yishaifthelandofisrael dot com. Uh, and I didn't get to do any uh, housekeeping work today. Just very quickly, check out uh, check out uh, the other Reb Mike, uh, Mike Berzin, who's going to get you healthy through. Uh, JerusalemFitness.com. He makes me healthy. I'm going to see him tonight, so it's going to be a Thursday of two Rabbi Mikes. The other one's not a rabbi, but he's like my rabbi because he teaches me how to stay healthy. We also have Rabbi Eitan Levy, one of your uh, fellow... Uh, uh, Ordinese. Ordinese here at uh, <laughs> Sulam Yaakov. He's a great tour guy. Rabbi uh, Eitan.com. E-I-T-A-N. Eitan.com. Also, I didn't get a chance to do it properly today, and I'll do it next week, but we also uh, want to thank uh, uh, our good friends... Uh, Annie and Zev for dedicating the show uh, to Mildred Reese, who was born on March 6, 1922 in Brooklyn, New York. There's a beautiful picture of her in the Jerusalem, po- in the Jerusalem Post and uh, one of the, uh, just a few phrases from her. You were, she says, she has these phrases. She says, you are the most important person in the world. You're the most important person in the world. Don't feel sorry for anyone you don't, and, and don't envy anyone, anyone. People will always have less than you and people will always have more than you. These are some of her phrases. I remember her well. There's her beautiful uh, face and the show is dedicated to her today. I also want to thank Mike, another Mike, Mike from uh, Boston, Mike S., uh, who who sent in a dedication, a little donation, not a little donation, a helpful donation. Every it's not little at all, actually, and it was also very helpful when you when you help the show. Uh, you're helping us do great stuff here, and helping um, helping us create content uh, that goes out to the world. Thank you very much. Thank you to another uh, for a friend who donated recently, Lando, uh, and I hope to see him down in in Florida. And I want to tell you, Rabbi Mike, that next week we got to work it out because I am flying to. America, I'm going to be in Florida, I'm going to be in D.C., I'm going to be in New York, and I'm going to be in Los Angeles. We have to do it early then. Yeah, we got to do it early, and and it's going to be a crazy week, and I'm going to be debating, not this Thursday, next Thursday, J Street at the largest uh, reform temple uh, in Beverly Hills. That sounds like a cage match. It's going to be awesome, okay? (laughs) It's going to be awesome, all right? It's going to be awesome, and there's going to be blood. No. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Roll back, No, no, just joking. No blood. It's It's going to be actually friendly. Uh, banter and debate and a conversation a conversation about the future of I'm Israel sure. alright folks so stay tuned stay strong stay connected let me hear from you write us uh, an email me at yeshai at thank you for listening to thelandofisrael.com and blessings from a beautiful overcast Jerusalem uh, that is just beckoning for you to be part of it so be part of it and stay connected shalom and bless you shabbat shalom <laughs>